On the show today, Rich and I discuss the problems with streaming, the Hollywood strike, and a spin on the Negroni. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to the August 7th, 2023 edition of Coffee and Koshan. So, Rich, it is the summer movie season. We love talking about movies and TV on this show. is one of our favorite topics. Uh, obsessively, we are a food show, but we also talk about other things, and that's one of our favorite things. And I got to say, I think TV is broken right now. And hear me out. Um, Hollywood is striking because TV does not, modern TV does not pay the people who make TV well enough anymore. And of course, you always have your Tom Cruises and your um, Chris Pratt's and all those people who can do anything they want, right? And they have millions of dollars and they're fine. But the majority of what you see on television or the majority of what you see in a movie theater are workaday actors. These are guys and girls who uh, work here, they work there, they absolutely have a second job. Um, you know, the stereotypical one is being a waiter or whatever in L.A. But uh, most of what you see uh, on a screen comes from those people, and those people are not being paid well right now, and that is why they are striking. Um, but it's also, I think, a problem of the streaming services in general. You and I grew up sort of at the beginning of cable. We're about the same age, mid-40s. And when we were kids, cable was just sort of coming into its own. Uh, I remember our first cable box was actually tethered to the TV. There wasn't like a, a remote you could lose. It was attached to the TV with a really long cord. And you would like push buttons on the box to change the channel. And we had maybe, I don't know, two dozen channels or something. And I thought that was like, oh my God, I'll never have more TV channels than that. Now we have hundreds. Now we have streaming and streaming is, a, is in not too long here going to kill cable. And I think the straw that breaks the camel's back on cable is going to be ESPN because Bob Iger, who got brought back to save Disney has said that in just a few years time, they want Disney to be out of the uh, cable package, and they want uh, ES they want ESPN to be out of the cable package. Excuse me, and they want ESPN to be a standalone thing that you buy per month, and that's going to be twenty five to thirty bucks a month to watch sports. But the thing is, like sports, live sports, is really what has kept cable going, and it it funds a lot of the crap you see on cable because people pay to watch the NFL. They pay to watch college football. They pay to watch basketball, all those sort of things. That's the reason I have cable exactly. is for sports. It's for, for sports. It's the reason I have cable for sports. When that goes away, cable will die. And the problem is now we've come to a point where we have all these fragmented streaming services. It used to be you had Netflix and, and everything was on Netflix. Then it was like Netflix, Hulu, and a little bit of Amazon. Now every brand has its own streaming service. Every brand wants you to pay 10 bucks a month to watch their stuff on their service. And it's this huge mess, and we've sort of recreated cable, but in a bad way. Because <laughs> it's this weird a la carte system where you don't always get what you want. There's just a lot of crap to watch. Do you know what I mean? 
Yes, yeah, so you end up having to subscribe to a different streaming services, these different streaming services, to get one show that you want to watch. And then yes. you're right back to the cable problem of all this other stuff. Well, and a lot of these streaming services now, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or whatever, they, they pull you in with their original content. You know, like they, they uh, like with Amazon, it was that the Rings of Power thing. They did the Lord of the Rings uh, adaptation uh, and they, they were trying to pull people in that way and then keep you there watching the rest of the stuff. With Netflix, it's Stranger Things. They want you to watch this uh, engaging story about these kids fighting evil and they want to keep you there for the rest of their stuff. With Disney, it was some of these Marvel shows, some of these Star Wars shows suck you in and then have you watch old Disney movies and stuff. Um, each one of these services has that. Now, the trick is sort of what, what goes back to what we were talking about initially here. A lot of these uh, actors and writers and directors who do these streaming projects have no idea how well they do because the streaming services are not like regular TV. They don't have to disclose who watches what and how much. And so in the end, we don't know if any of this crap is actually being watched. They can tell us it is, but I mean, that's just their word. We have no idea. Uh, we don't know if anybody's actually watching most of this stuff. And that brings me to a, a piece that our friend did, uh, Ben Dominich, uh, called The Hollywood Strikers Have a Schrodinger's Cat Problem. And... Uh, for people who uh, don't remember this from school, Schrodinger's cat is the, the situation of like, there's a cat in a box. And so you open that box, you don't know if that cat is alive or dead. A lot of these writers and directors uh, and actors are saying, look, if we're going to be paid by these streamers, we need to know, is our stuff being watched? But the problem is, if you actually get that information, I'm among <laughs> a lot of people who think, you're going to find that most people don't watch hardly any of the stuff on the streaming services. They're watching a handful of shows. On Netflix, they're all watching Seinfeld reruns ad nauseum like me. On um, HBO uh, or Max, whatever the fuck it's called now, they're, they're watching uh, Friends reruns or they're watching Big Bang Theory or they're watching stuff that's been around for a long time. They're not watching a lot of the stuff they want us to think people are watching. And the problem comes that if that is the case, and I imagine they will get that as part of the negotiations here. If that is the case, they're going to find that they don't actually have a reason to make a lot of this stuff anymore because now everybody knows that no one's watching it. And that's going to mean less jobs for writers, directors, and actors in the new streaming world than there are now because they're just going to start cutting content to cut costs. So there's an interesting parallel with the music industry, or at least the music industry as it was a couple of decades ago. And the music industry had kind of the inverse approach. So Garth Brooks is a great example. He, at his pinnacle, was able to negotiate contracts in which the label lost money on Garth Brooks, but because of the cachet he brought and just his presence, it bolstered the label to have Garth Brooks so they could bring on all this other talent that maybe were up and coming stars or weren't 
as popular, but all these other people would generate enough money to cover the losses on Garth Brooks. But now it seems that the streamers have done the inverse and they're only making money on certain really big properties, but they're losing money on everything else. And financially that doesn't work. It, you know, in the, in the Garth Brooks situation, it's kind of a loss leader. If you, if you're familiar with the business world where you'll sell something at a loss to bring in other customers for other things. It's like the steak at Costco. Yes. And the streamers, when they don't have to disclose these numbers, they can have all these pet projects, all these niche things that only appeal to a, a sliver of the audience to begin with. And you don't know if that sliver is even watching. And so it, I'm with you. It really seems like, they're just blowing all this money that they're bringing in every month from everyone who's got 40 subscriptions to have what they want. Well, and it's going to lead to a cataclysmic event here because once, uh, once wall street knows that most people don't watch 90% of the crap on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and what have you, then they're going to demand you know, hey, we're investing money in you. You better spend that money wisely. Don't make stuff that people don't watch. And Rich, I'm going to be interested to see what happens then because if it turns out that a lot of people are just watching stuff that was made in the 90s and early 2000s before Hollywood went all woke, does that mean that more good stuff might get made? I mean, it will be less stuff overall, right? But maybe that stuff is more quality stuff. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. I, I, I almost feel like we're drowning in a choice at this point because of all the streamers having to generate enough content to justify subscriptions. And in the early days of Netflix, I remember my kids were real little when, uh, when it really shifted to a digital platform. And Netflix filled a lot of categories with cheap junk from other countries or whatever. Yes. Like, you know, like, Oh, here's a cartoon. And it turns out to be some Brazilian thing about destruction of the rainforest or whatever. So it was still kind of the same ideological bent, but they weren't spending really any money on it. It was just a licensing fee and they shifted away. And now they're making that stuff themselves. And it, it just doesn't make sense. It's like, like you said, we've, we were supposed to be cutting the cord, but all we did was just remake cable in a the most fragmented and worst way possible. We really did. And 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 it's interesting to me because uh, you bring up the, the whole like drowning in choice thing. I find that some of these streamers have gotten so bad because they want to they do want to almost drown you in options. Like, yeah, you got to find something you're going to watch. Find something you're going to watch. Stay on our service. Find something you watch. And um, I think for me, the, the worst offender in that is Amazon. Amazon used to be, you pull up Amazon and they'd have like things to watch with Prime. And it was like, you know, movies that were part of your Prime subscription. Now they really want to sell you on all the additions you can buy into Prime. It's like, well, yeah, you can watch that, but you have to subscribe to MGM+. Plus. Well, what the fuck is that? And and why am I going to subscribe 
$10 a month to watch like two movies. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Or they're like, oh, yeah, you want to watch Mad Men? You could join AMC Plus for $9.99 a month. And I'm like, no, I, I just want to watch a show. Um, or, uh, yeah, you, you can watch that, but it's part of our new free V service, which means every four minutes you're watching it, you get like six minutes of commercials. Like, well, fuck that. Like, I just want to watch something. I, I pay for a service. I thought that means I got to watch it, but no, 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 no. Like now, like you pay to be part of this neighborhood, but then in order to like get in the door, you have to watch like ads now too on streaming services. And the whole point of streaming was to get away from ads. And now they've polluted streaming as well. And I feel like the streamers are running themselves into the ground by destroying the product that was good and making it just terrible. And the advertising speaks to the problem the strikers are probably going to discover when these numbers are disclosed because I suspect the reason they've gone that route and added advertising is because they need to subsidize yes. all of their losses. But again, to your point, why am I paying extra to watch ads? And granted, I'm pretty persnickety. Like, I already get pissed off when I'm watching cable, you know, if I'm watching HBO or stars or whatever, and the logo pops up in the corner, it's like, I'm paying for this. Like you don't have to remind me. Like I know what channel I'm on. <laughs> I know like, I'm on HBO. Thanks a bunch for the uh, reminder there. <laughs> it's like when people buy cars, it's like, I feel like the, the dealership should have to give you a discount if they put their logo on the back of your car. It's like, okay, I'm going to drive around and give you free advertising. Right, exactly. Um, okay, so that begs the question, Rich. Is is TV going to get better or is TV going to get worse? I suspect it's going to get better, but it's going to get worse first because a lot of people are going to have to swallow their pride or just fail completely and get to the point where they realize that they've screwed the pooch on all this stuff. Just like, I would rather just have cable at this point, as much as I was excited about the prospect of streaming, I would rather just have cable and have everything on cable and not have to worry about downloading another app and subscribing to another channel. So there's that aspect, but when the true numbers come out, they're going to have to make shows that appeal to people. And as we've seen, we've discussed uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, you know, even though I, I wasn't a big fan of the Barbie movie, it's making money hands over fist. So there seems to be this growing recognition uh, with the behavioral changes that arose during COVID that they can't just put stuff out and expect to get a profit anymore. They've got to make sure that they have eyeballs on the screen. Well, and it's interesting because, for instance, um, uh, several shows recently have gotten crap from viewers for being half-ass. Shows that used to be good, like uh, like The Witcher, for instance. So the, the Witcher, the third season of The Witcher just premiered not long ago. It was split into two pieces by Netflix. Uh, the first piece came out, I think, in like uh, at the end of May. Um, and the last piece of three episodes came out uh, just a couple weeks ago. And um, they were bad. The last three episodes were just straight up bad. 
And um, people complained about it because they're like, you know, look, I've been waiting for this because that's the other thing when you have these shows on streaming, there's sometimes a year, two years, three years between seasons. And so you get all excited, you get pumped for the show and then they just deliver a half-assed product. And uh, it was funny to see the reaction of uh, Netflix and the production company for that show because they were like, screw you, like, it's your fault, not ours, that it was a bad episode. Like, uh, you don't complain to us. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we're not the ones making this. <laughs> like, you are. And if you don't make something good, we're not going to spend the time to watch it. And I, I would be willing to bet that when we eventually see those numbers, you're going to see that crap doesn't get watched. Good stuff does. And if good stuff happens to be Seinfeld, Friends, you know, stuff that was made a while ago, and a lot of the new stuff just doesn't get watched, then, you know, so be it. Um, the sad thing is, I think actors and directors and writers are going to have to figure out how to survive in this new world. Uh, I'm going to share a story. We have a, a, a friend who was on the show uh, who's a director in Hollywood. He told me this story about um, an actor he knows. And uh, he got called, uh, he, he got a part, he got uh, a small part in a uh, series, uh, and he was supposed to be there for an episode. And uh, he went in for just a couple days uh, on like a week-long shoot. And at the end of his time there, they said, hey, uh, by the way, we need to scan your face. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, yeah, we need to scan your face in case we need to do any, like, cleanup. And he's like, uh, all right. So they scan his face with this digital camera system thing, right, whatever. So they have his, uh, a visual digital representation of his head in makeup, in costume. He then said he saw himself in other scenes throughout that show that he never shot because they had a digital version of him, a digital version of his head, that they just put places. If they needed people in a background shot, they put them there. They needed someone over here, they put them there. And apparently this is not a, um, uh, this is not a, a weird thing for studios to do. They will often get digital representations of you. And, and a lot of times that's for, you know, doing special effects work or whatever. But once they have that, they can do anything they want with it. And then you're not getting paid for your time to appear in that show because they have you already in the computer. They're like, well, just add Joe over here and add Brad over there and add Rich over there. Because they already have your, your digital representation. They don't actually need you on set. They don't need to pay you to be there. But that begs the question, if you, a representation of you, is in that show, shouldn't you get paid for See, being this is, there? This is where I'm 100% on the side of the strikers. I mean, I, I want artists to get paid, although, as we've discussed, I share the, the fear that this is going to blow up. But the use of AI to, to weasel out of paying actors for their time is just beyond shitty. It really just, is. And it makes me wonder, I mean, these are obviously all big corporations, right? It's, it's Disney, it's Paramount, it's cinema, it's um, Comcast, it's, you know, all these big companies that do all these. They're trying to cut corners just as much as anybody else is. They, they need to make money on this. And if they can do that by cutting out 
Joe the workaday actor, you bet your ass they're going to do that. And I don't really think that's fair to Joe the workaday actor. No. And, and and if they have to strike to fix that, I'm all for that. And it also speaks to, to, to circle back to something you said a couple of minutes ago, in terms of the amount of quantity that they feel need to produce, particularly for the streaming services, it's, it's just too out of hand. Like, so to go to the series question, when the Mandalorian season one at the end, I was completely hooked. And now I've just completely fallen off with watching the Mandalorian because another th- angle that the the streaming channels do that I hate, I don't want to watch three or four different shows to keep up with the plot line yes. of the main show that I'm trying yes. to watch. Yes, and they all do that. You're right. They have these interconnected universes, and you can't just watch one show. You have to watch like five shows just to know what's going on because if you don't watch those intervening shows – then when the show you want to watch comes back on like one, two, three years later, you're like, well, what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah. And I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to hook people in with one really good property and, you know, fill it in with all these other properties, but just make better shows and, and don't get caught up in your, you know, your pet projects, your political projects, just make good TV again. But again, I think once these numbers come out, that could be a huge driver of the fact that they need to make good shows, Uh, especially like you said, when wall street finds out, they're not just going to keep funding them to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because uh, I mean, wall street's not going to pay for crap. If they are investing in Netflix or Disney or whatever, then they want people to watch what they're producing. And if no one's watching it, they sure as hell should not be making any more of that. Um, and I just don't think Wall Street's going to let them get away with that. No. Uh, um, okay, so talking about this makes me want to have a drink. So <laughs> <laughs> you have a riff on the Negroni for this week. Uh, walk me through it. All right, so uh, a little bit of a backstory. A friend of ours, uh, a writer friend, uh, Ilya Shapiro, uh, actually came through Arkansas this week, and he was at my house Monday afternoon, and all my family was out of town. And so we had an afternoon cocktail and he, uh, he actually played bartender in my bar and made us Negronis, but he topped them with some uh, sparkling water. Uh, he asked for club soda, but I, I use Topo Chico for everything because it's the best. So, and it was a nice refreshing afternoon cocktail. And it reminded me that there's a riff on the Negroni that I've been wanting to try, which I did. Uh, I looked up the pronunciation of this. Hopefully I get it right, but it's the Negroni uh, Zaglia. Uh, No, that's not it. It looks like it's four syllables. It's three syllables. Uh, Negroni Zagliato. And you just make a Negroni. You do one-to-one Campari and sweet vermouth in a glass with ice, or you can do it up. And then you top it with Prosecco and a piece of orange peel. The story behind this sounds very implausible. The video of the guy I watched pronouncing this uh, articulated it well. Uh, So the story is that a bartender accidentally grabbed a bottle of Prosecco when making a Negroni, but the customer liked it. But the odds of grabbing a bottle of Prosecco and confusing it for gin seem pretty low, no matter how busy your bartender is. So the origins are unknown. 
but it reduces the uh, alcohol content of the cocktail, uh, gives it some effervescence, and the sweetness of the Prosecco kind of counteracts the bitterness of uh, Campari very well. So I highly recommend this, uh, especially with the scorching summer we've been having. It's a, a just a delightful riff on it. You still go one-to-one with your Campari and your uh, sweet vermouth, and then you can adjust it uh, to your, the sweetness of your liking by adjusting the amount of Prosecco in it. I drank it over ice. It just seemed like a drink that I wanted to keep cool rather than letting it warm up in the heat. But again, you can serve it up. It's, so it's just a, a very simple, versatile cocktail that you can kind of customize around the edges for your own taste. I like that. I like something that's a little effervescent. Yes, especially right now. Especially when it's 109 out or whatever it is now. <laughs> uh, because apparently we live on the surface of the sun. Yeah, not to, to meander too much, but I've got these dogs who need to be walked and they don't handle the heat well, so I have to get up very early to walk them. And I mean, <laughs> it's it's like 80 degrees at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yep. It's just too much. You know, I come in the house, it looks like I've like jumped in a swimming pool and I have rediscovered my childhood love of playing in the sprinklers, but uh, this time it's just me walking through my neighbor's irrigation systems while I'm out walking the dogs. <laughs> this is a summer I'm glad that my dog is uh, old and her idea of, of exercise is like running around the bedroom. <laughs> because you're right, like even at 6 a.m., it's 80 degrees with 100% humidity, and it's like, bleh. Yeah, it's miserable. <laughs> but that's where the Negroni's Baleato comes in. That's right. Uh, and then you can sit down and watch some low-quality television on your streaming yes. service. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rich, thanks a bunch. All right, thank you, Brad.